You are listening to the Orange Songbook Podcast, hosted by Matthew Hewish, Oliver Davies and Toby Suda. The three second generation unificationists discuss topics that matter to them. Hello and welcome to the Orange Songbook Podcast. Uh, we're here again. Oh, I know, right? Again. I'm Ollie. I'm here with Toby. Hey guys. And with Matt. Greetings. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, enthusiastic. Um, and today we're talking about generations. Specifically, I mean, we use that word quite a lot in our community to describe, well, one thing specifically, and that's when and the situations of their birth. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a way of categorizing between different groups of members. You know, when you're talking about large groups of people, you're always going to make huge generalizations. You're always going to offend people, but that's part of the fun, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, we're going to try to base our conversation on anecdotal observations. Uh, Of course, there are always exceptions to to the rule, but uh, yeah, we just want to put that disclaimer out there. We're not trying to offend people. So what is this whole generation thing all about? Well, we have several phrases we use. First generation, second generation, third generation. So, so what is a first generation member? First generation member is what we call our parents, right? The first generation of people who live by the unification way. It basically means that you have been brought into the community, uh, witnessed to at some point during your lifetime. And, and you don't necessarily have to be a blessed member yet. No, 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 no. It, it, I would say that there are a lot of people who are unblessed, who, you know, they've been brought in by one of their mates or by somebody they know or somebody that they've met, and they proudly say, oh, I'm a first-generation member. Yeah, the blessing we are kind of referring to is our marriage ceremony. Of course, for, yeah. For listeners who aren't aware of the blessing. So a second generation then would be someone who is born from a first-generation couple, right? Right. Their parents received the blessing together and then had children. And those children would be considered blessed children. Uh, and if the, the, the parents are first-generation members, then their children would be considered second-generation Yeah, members. so the blessing, the marriage blessing, is considered a hereditary blessing, if you will. That if you are blessed, then you're children also inherit that blessing uh, there are also some other categories there's jacob children personally i really don't like the name the, yeah the, the etymology you know the, the word itself me too jacob child you know nothing against jacob children themselves but i just feel that the name is is misleading and ambiguous mm-hmm. where does it actually come from do believe there is some contention over where this name originates the story which 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 i've heard is that in the early days of of the uh, north american church in the usa there were many first generation members who already had families and when they wanted to do missionary activities they basically pooled their resources together in order to create a, a home for their children to all live together so that they could continue doing their mission activities and that home was called Jacob House and so all the the uh, children who 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 moved into this home were then known as Jacob children that's the story i've heard and so the name has ever since stuck that children born to parents who had not yet received the blessing were known as Jacob children i've heard the the reason there's so many stories I don't really know where it comes from and everybody I've asked doesn't also really doesn't know where it comes from. I've heard that the reason it was called Jacob House is because it was full of Jacob children. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the other way around, and it's down to some 
really bad metaphor about you know some really bad biblical metaphor that doesn't quite make sense the biblical the jacob the biblical jacob which the I, biblical jacob who had two legitimate wives rachel and leah and then two concubines who who were the the, the servants of rachel and leah yeah, i see this and had a whole bunch of children with all four women uh, sounds pretty yeah, messy I, it's okay if, actually to be honest if anybody does know or they've got another story about you know where this word jacob children comes from we would love to know yeah write in because i'm really curious and you can also have blessed children and jacob's children as siblings true that's very true so i do know um how how is that possible my parents witnessed to a couple who already had a child and then they joined maybe the child was two years old at the time and all their subsequent children were after they received the blessing so they are considered blessed children I think it's it's important to recognize and acknowledge the fact that in the past, a very unfair discrimination was made between Jacob children, who, who for all intents and purposes, are first generation members because they were born before the blessing took place from their parents and second generation children. An unfair discrimination in the way that they were treated in terms of their education and the way that they were brought up. These days, thankfully, that differentiation is no longer so prevalent. We treat all young people pretty much the same. But in the past, I think there was a lot of pain and heartache because of of the way that Jacob children were singled out for being different from second generation. And second generation was so special because they were blessed children. Uh, Was that more of a first-gen thing to do to single them out? Because my experience growing up, I never really noticed any difference between me and I think by the time you were growing up it had already been weeded out mostly I would assume from experience when people realized that you couldn't tell through just talking or meeting with somebody whether or not they were Jacob's children or second generation actually a lot of my friends or I don't know many Jacob children but the ones who are my friends I find out years later I've just always thought of them as second gen yeah so it's but, but then I think at that time where, where such discrimination was taking place, there was also this erroneous concept that second generation children would be born sinless and, and they would like be perfect babies huh. that they wouldn't Great. Poop. Because, yeah, sure, you might get rid of original sin, but there's still the other three massive, massive sins with thousands of years of history bearing on your shoulders. Sin, mm. Yeah. Also something to bear in mind is we won't talk so much about third and fourth generation. That's simply because I don't really know any that are above the age of 12. I do know about 30, but they're all Matt's kids. They're all Matt's kids. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, for all intents and purposes, third generation, fourth generation, beyond, they're all blessed children. Uh, But yeah, we're going to be basically talking about our experiences between first and second generation, yeah. So chaps, why are we covering this topic then, talking about my generations? I suppose there there are two aspects. One of them is, is let's call it the theological perspective, the ontological perspective. And why is that significant? Because of how these categories of membership get blessed, get married. Uh, and we'll discuss that in a moment. Uh, and the other aspect is more qualitative, that when we look at the behavior of first and generation members, we, we observe general tendencies, general characteristics. And um, on the one hand, it's fun to, to generalize those characteristics and see how generally we're, we're, we're different. But then it's also important that we learn how to understand each other so that we can work together better. It is a topic that is actually considered taboo by some people to say that 
you know, first generation and second generation are different. People kind of agree with that. But then to go into the reasons why and what those actual differences are, people feel a little bit uncomfortable about sometimes. So we thought we'd talk about that today. So we are going to talk a bit more about the blessing side of it. We won't go into too much detail as it could turn into a massive topic. And it is, it does have lots of sensitive kind of issues. So we're just going to hit the key points. Right. So first of all, blessed children in the unificationist tradition can only receive the blessing with other blessed children. So by blessed children, we mean second generation, third generation, so on, so on, so on. That's right. So in my experience, you know, my contemporaries, it's always second generation members getting blessed with other second generation members. Can you get blessed between generations? Second and third? Yes. yes. Second and fourth? Yes. yes. Second and fifth? Yes. Yes. Is it is it actually possible? Is there a fifth generation out there? Um, probably not yet, no. <laughs> I don't think there's any like lineage. Every time we say something, we're in such danger of just being wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then Jacob's children—they are considered first gen, right? They are indeed. Even though they've been raised as second generation, and we think of them as second generation, they are first generation. Strictly speaking, yes. So technically, that means that they should be matched and blessed to other first generation or others Jacob's children. Mm-hmm. Correct. Now there has been exceptions to this, right? So. Older second generation members, the exact age is a matter of contention. There was a memo circulated uh, recently which which prescribed some ages for for men and women uh, and yet some more recent guidelines which were a bit more ambiguous. But anyway, generally speaking, older second generation members who are chaste and as yet unmarried may be allowed to be matched and blessed with a similarly aged first generation member so why is that then because you've got this rule which is let's say prescribed by the spirit world or lineage or whatever it's officially coined the chonilguk standard yeah right so what like why can you break it just because you've hit a certain age of course we want to uphold a certain idealism in order to work towards that, that absolute standard but there needs to be a recognition of of the messy reality that you know we human beings are in. Uh, true parents were always very clear about the fact that the blessing was being given to us in a way, but as an act of grace. And so, with that heart of compassion, true parents recognise, and and indeed our blessed family departments have have been asking uh, true parents to recognise that there are second generation matching candidates who who are pushing on in age, particularly with respect to to the ability to have children. And so if, if you want to allow these individuals who are maybe in their late 30s to be able to have a family and, and to have a realistic chance of having children and, and having a, a lineage to, to, to bequeath, then this exception has been granted. Now, True Father in his lifetime did significantly match and blessed second generation members with first generation members although that was very rare and usually it was for very specific purposes but uh, recently uh, this compassionate exception has been explained as, as a way for for these individuals in these circumstances now to, to to reach your late 30s and to still be chaste and to still be unmarried uh, honestly speaking I, i'd be asking what, why are you still unmarried <laughs> what what's 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 been the difficulty to i get don't know that? i oh. think you know bear in mind obviously for you 
marriage and family is a, is a huge priority in your life. Certainly. For other people, that isn't necessarily the case, and that isn't necessarily a wrong thing. Mm-hmm. So maybe they're, they they prioritized their developing career. their career. Yeah. 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 So you know, developing their external skills, having a financial foundation before they start a family, or simply not having, you know, bad luck. That's true. I, I do lot. know a lot of people who have attempted to uh, enter into courtships and many of them failed, largely speaking because they kept courting losers. That <laughs> <laughs> uh, The people who, who they tried building relationships with weren't interested in them because they were superficial or, or not very mature. But that's the thing. There is this ideal standard and it's an ideal knowing that very few people will hit that standard. So True Father established the Channel Gook standard in 2004 and spent a few years doing uh, matchings and blessings uh, whereby he upheld this standard. And to give you an idea about what this standard is, I'm going to quickly read from the uh, International Standards for Blessed Family Administration, uh, which is a booklet which I picked up in Korea very recently, which tries to set a, a standardized standard across the whole world. The Chonil Guk matching standard, one purity, Candidates have no experience dating the opposite sex and have kept their purity. Two, single status. Candidates have not attended true parents matching or previously received the blessing. Three, absolute faith. Candidates resolve to seek heaven's will and are ready to receive their partner as God-given with absolute faith. Four, international blessing. Candidates must be prepared to inherit the international blessing tradition for the realization of the ideal of one family under God. Five, exemplary life of faith. Candidates should regularly attend Sunday service, tithe, and practice a basic life of faith at home. And finally, six, health. Candidates must be of healthy mind and body. No serious health issue. I do understand why a standard needs to be established, because we are a religion, for want of a better word, that believes in an ideal that we should all be working for, right? Mm -hmm. So as we're going through blessing processes, matching processes, all of the things connected to that, we do so in the mindset of making up for our deficiencies. deficiencies We want to prepare people to to live happy lives. And and if people are unready, unprepared, then in a sense that they're setting themselves up for challenges. And so we we set this standard in order to give people an idea of what they need to, to work towards themselves to be best prepared for a happy marriage. Mm, however, this kind of whole topic of Chonoguk standard is a very dubious area for me due to the nature of that book. There's a lot of kind of inconsistencies or a lot of things I may disagree on, which makes me throw this, makes me confused about this whole standard in general. That's the thing. When you have a proper standard, you need to be able to nitpick it. You need to be able to take it word for word. That's That's the point. Accuracy is really important. But that particular book... Well, first of all, it was made as a compromise between all the different nations' individual standards, which vastly differ if you look at... That's true. The different regional blessed family departments had varying standards uh, in in how they approached the the matching and blessing for different generation categories. And this booklet is an attempt to uh, create an international standard. But... Some stuff is just pure ridiculous. Like, you are not of Chonoguk standard if you have eczema or asthma. It is true that amongst the health conditions listed here, which would disqualify one from having the Chonoguk matching standard, is indeed atopic dermatitis, which, for all intents and purposes, is eczema and asthma, for which you require to take medication. Uh, which, which means that 
you might not be able to run a little bit. I had an asthma pump when I was a six-year-old. I haven't used sorry, it since then. Am sorry. I still... Do I still come under? Sorry. Ollie, you, <laughs> you have even worse asthma asked. than me. <laughs> I've accepted that I'm I'm definitely not a channel good standard because of my asthma. Yeah. I, 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 I do agree with you on, on that point. I find those comments to be slightly... But there's also more. There's... You know, it specifically states in that book that true parents matching is something that still exists, even though it was specifically said not to, that that, had, that period of time had finished and that parents matching was the ideal. I don't want to nitpick too much about this document. Um, I, I think, you know, it, it serves as a tool to help us. So there's a section in there where it talks about, you know, true parents matching still being a thing. And that's specifically you know, been said and declared to no longer exist, that parents matching is the new standard. And this is the problem, that that guidebook specifically is what most people see as the standard. And if you can't trust the standard or it's out of date or it's not being updated or it, it, the, it has language problems or something like that, it means that it can cause real problems in people's matching and blessing. Mm -hmm. And if those things are put into question, then the huge, huge point of, you know, first generation, second generation blessing, parents matching, and all of these really important things in people's lives are also, you know, can you really trust what's written in there? But, you know, the, the topic of our discussion today is, is the differences between the generations, not how reliable is this textbook as, as a guidebook for, for matching and blessing. And, and you know, when th thinking about the blessing and comparing the differences between first generation members and second generation members, the big difference is that first generation members, they get matched by the national director or, or, or a representative of the blessed family department. Second generation members get matched by their parents. That's the big difference which comes from, from this guidebook. See, the parents matching and blessing has been something that's been established over the past few years, gradually brought in and then taken away and then brought in again. And the history is actually really fascinating. We'll cover that for another time. But one observation that a lot of people have made are first generation and second generation are just really different in terms of personality and you know the way that we've grown up and how that's affected our lives. And one concern that a lot of people have is this can lead to misunderstandings. And as you rightly said, you know, the second generation are matched by their parents. Right. And so any, any uh, tensions that may exist because of differences in outlook or, or differences in, in characteristics, they are especially played out in the whole matching and blessing process. Because I, I, I know many friends and, and people I know amongst the second generation community who have had their matching inhibited by their parents' involvement or, or even they found it very difficult to build their marriage because of the interference of their parents or their parents-in-law, even to the point where sometimes those, those marriages were dissolved. So that's why it's so important for us to be able to understand the differences between the generations with the, with the heart of compassion. And, and to be able to handle that tension responsibly. Now, again, just to cover our asses, we are generalizing here. <laughs> um, but in general, the way that the first generation started their life in the church is hugely different to how we did. For instance, this you know seven-year course, I never had to go through that. And I can imagine if I did, it would vastly shape the way that I am. What's the breakdown of the seven-year course? In a sentence... 
a ton of sacrifice, fundraising and witnessing and throwing uh, your life completely into the providence. So pretty much the opposite of a second gen life. Yeah, pretty much the opposite. Mm, I don't entirely agree with that, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Mate, just because you went on STF, don't be proud of that. (laughs) No, I'm joking, I'm joking. (laughs) True Parents taught many formula for Mm. our lives. Formula? Formulae? Formulae? Formulae. Basically, the first gen gave up a lot to do that kind of lifestyle, that seven-year course. A lot of them dropped out of education. Sure, and and the kind of leadership they experienced, especially during that formula course, and, and we're specifically thinking of, of first-generation members who did a formula course in the 1970s, perhaps ni- early 1980s, that the kind of leadership they experienced was authoritarian, not very Christian. Completely uncompromising, yeah. And, and so actually the, the first-generation members that we know, they're the ones who survived. Uh, and and many, many uh, people who joined the church, in fact, left during that time because of the, the difficulties they experienced. And as a result, many of the, the people who, who did survive you could argue have gone through a lot of trauma in their church lives as a result of that well i know it's not fair to to paint a people with a, a very broad brush but we do have to bear in mind that yes the vast majority of first generation who have joined the church have also left yeah. which one way you could say that is they they couldn't conform to the specific lifestyle that they were asked to do could you say the same of second generation members that the vast majority of children who are born as second generation members have also left the church compared to those who have remained well left the church in our previous podcast was about membership and it's quite vacant (laughs) (laughs) so it's harder to answer that one right i would say a a larger majority of first generation have have left the church i think yeah and for probably more negative reasons this community is a lot more kind of forgiving to second gen lifestyles almost isn't it Maybe uh, we are coloured by our experience here in the UK and in Europe. Mm. What are the characteristics which which we can see which makes first generation members different? From first second gen, gen have incredible amount of faith. Yes, like if you didn't, crazy you amount. couldn't survive. It's as simple yeah. as that. If you couldn't do it, then you would have left. And by comparison, second generation members are less faithful. Mm, I, I just honestly, honestly, yes. In general, yes. Yes. <laughs> okay, I, I have to agree with that. I think we're certainly more cynical. Okay, well, maybe that's the better word the Three British guys. I think that's general across nations. You know, I've met a lot of second generation in Japan and Korea, and it's the same. You know, there's that kind of questioning as being very healthy, that attitude. Mm. Um, whereas I've met quite a few first generation, uh, a lot more first generation than second generation, who have the attitude of questioning as being a, a slightly more negative thing or as as being a symbol of lack of faith and not seeing those two specific things as distinct. But I, I think one way of looking at it is, is that second generation members embrace critical thinking as a vital part of their life of faith. They, they want to reason with the truth and find out how to make it a part of their lives. Whereas it seems that for many first generation members, they suppress critical thinking it's not that they don't think critically, but they actively try to suppress it. Is that fair? I think that's why we don't talk openly about, you know, issues that are burning like 
sanctuary church and all of those kinds of things that are done in secret forums and by members who might be labeled negative or whatever whereas second generation we can talk a little bit more freely about those kinds of things because we see them as as integral parts of our journey of relig- our religious journey of faith maybe it's because for second generation members we don't feel that our membership is threatened by having those conversations that's a good point whereas perhaps in the past just actively speaking out your mind would would uh, label you as as a problem member and and flag you up for special treatment perhaps i'm sure that you know that kind of conversation and language was and still is punishable in certain places whereas for us as second generation uh, we you know people can't people don't simply a lot of second gen don't care to be honest that's also true I think one thing that's highlighted by this previous issue that I alluded to is that we tend not to feel the need for leadership. Mm, We are a very kind of horizontal age group, aren't we, in terms of relationships? Yeah, so this question about, you know, um, just for those of you who don't know, there's some tension, leadership tension within the higher levels of the movement where um, people are basically saying, you should follow me or you should follow me. And I know... That's that's a real big struggle for a lot of people. Who should I follow? Whereas a lot of my contemporaries, including myself, we think, well, why should we follow anybody? I don't need to. We should follow, follow. our conscience. Yeah, exactly. We've been given all the tools we need to, you know, live a good life and to grow. Why do I need somebody telling me specifically which tools to use? Does it come all the way back to that kind of following attitude of first gen? I think so. I think if you couldn't be a good follower. If you were a rebel, you were less likely to survive those really tough days of the church. Whereas now, if you're a rebel, you can almost be praised for it. Mm. I think it's also something to do with the training that many first generation members received to adhere to a hierarchical system. So that there's a, a very vertical tradition amongst first generation members. There's a rich culture of reporting and communicating and trusting the leader, generally agreeing (laughs) with the leader, even if you don't really agree, but trying to go along with it anyway to to show some loyalty. Whereas second generation members generally are much more suspicious of leaders, suspicious of verticality. Suspicious is a good word. Yeah. And with much reason to be suspicious, to be honest. Well, then you could also say the same thing, that there's a lot of reason to just give people the benefit of the doubt and to follow because, you know, actually following an incomplete plan is better than nobody following any plan. I guess ultimately your decision will come down to your own personal experiences with whatever you're dealing with, right? Mm. But ironically enough, one thing that a lot of people around the world almost unanimously have noticed is that second gen are really good at working together and really good at making friends with each other. Right. It's you can you can introduce a group of second generation members who don't know each other to each other and they'll just become really good friends really quickly. Is it because like the first gen share such similar like values that they've brought us up in such a way that we we kind of unite on that basis so well? Does that make sense? Yeah, I understand what you're saying. I've thought about it a lot. And my conclusion is I genuinely don't know. Because there's something about a second gen. Like I can meet the average second gen, for example, I can just meet some random second gen from America. And I feel like, yes, I can give that person my wallet and I can go away for the day. And I can feel safe that I can return at the end of the day and they'll give back to me with all the money still intact. Which is completely irrational because (laughs) I know some second generation members who do 
commit crimes and, and are untrustworthy. So, but that's the thing. I I have this feeling as well, and I don't know where it comes from. Hmm. That if oh, you're a you're a second generation member. Cool, sweet. Let's be best mates forever. We've been raised on a set of morals which all the first gen throughout the world kind of share to the same extent and it's that kind of understanding that then expands into great teamwork you you, you see that whenever second generation members work together they they build fantastic teams in my observation generally speaking first generation members really struggle to build good teams could that be down to then the initial stages of your life and how you're raised? Because all the first gen are raised in different churches, different faiths, different ways of thinking. So although they kind of conformed in later life to a same belief or similar belief, their initial way of thinking isn't quite on the same page. That's, I, again, that's something I've thought about a lot. And I thought, yeah, we've actually grown up together. So it's re- we've grown up in group environments. We've grown up with people that we trust and love in large communities. But then I see a lot of these people who grew up in, you know, far away from whatever, and they just come in anyway, and they just plug right in, even though they grew up in an isolated environment as well. I think I, there's something more, and I don't I, know what it is. I, when I think about first-generation members who are here today, they have had to cling on tenaciously to their faith in order to survive. And they've gone through incredibly challenging circumstances, many, many, as, as we life or death circumstances. Indeed, and so many of them behave as lone wolves. They are, they have had to exist by themselves in in order to survive. And so, generally speaking, those who needed others in order to work together as a team, they unfortunately were left by the wayside as 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 the providence uh, progressed. And, and those who were able to keep up with the pace, the providential pace, they're, they're perhaps less inclined to, to work well in teams, uh, which then creates this tension because you have first generation members who want to invite second generation members to take on more responsibility in the church community, to, to, to give positions of responsibility and leadership, and, and second generation members who would like to take that responsibility because they're desperate to see change, and yet they need to work together, but the first generation members struggle to work in teams, and, and the second generation members struggle to respect the authority and leadership. So you can no, see where a lot is, of the tension yeah, comes from. deficiencies kind of exaggerate each other in a way. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're at that time now when the first gen, sadly, are starting to pass away and they need to be replaced and they need to be replaced in, by second generation. But the problem is, I don't know if we're getting out of the dynamic of like child, young child to auntie and uncle relationship. Like, I still feel like with some first gen in my community, whenever I talk to them, I still feel like the 10 year old that they used to talk to or the five year old they used to talk to. Do you know what I mean? There's that barrier still. One thing I think that contributes to that barrier, which I is my immaturity. Very real. No, no, no. no. <laughs> it, it's. I mean, that, that contributes That's a to contributing everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think pretty much every continent, without exception, has very large baby booms, where a lot of people get blessed and start family life at once, and as a result, you have a huge surge in second generation at some point in time. And that gap causes this barrier, in a way, between first and second generation, because they're always used to seeing second generation as young children. That's fascinating you say that, because and vice versa. we have some younger first gen in our community who hang out with us every week. Yeah. 
So we have, let's say the average first gen, our parents' ages, maybe 60s, 70s, but there's a few late 40s, mid 40s that we hang out with. We go to the cafe every week. We, yep. we have uh, scripture studies on Friday nights together. We joke, we banter around, and it's totally natural and fine. That's fascinating. Yeah, but there's so few of them. Yeah. That's the point. So there's a significant generation gap. Mm. Yeah. And I feel like that contributes a lot to the lack of communication and the struggles because suddenly you're not asking um, a a 40-year-old man to take over a 60-year-old man's position or a 50-year-old man asking to take over a 70-year-old man's position. You're asking for a 25-year-old to take over a 60-year-old's position who's built that position since the age of 25 since the age of 25 <laughs> exactly and done it by him or herself and not structured it in a way where any sort of groups can easily get involved Do you know what's interesting ollie we haven't actually discussed this but we are in the presence of someone who has been one of the very rare cases of second gen taking over these positions right matthew hewish you are the national leader of uk a curious species indeed and also the pastor of Bromley Church from an even younger age of 25, 26 something like that something like that um, what was the process like for you how did it go did did you we haven't scripted for this we have not scripted <laughs> but it's actually a very valid point to discuss did you find it natural taking over a position that was crafted for a different generation I think because I'm an incredibly stubborn person and my wife is also incredibly stubborn and we both have a pretty clear vision of of what true parents are trying to accomplish that whatever challenges we saw we just simply saw opportunities to improve things so you know i think we've always tried to make an effort to appreciate what our predecessors have done before us but then not be afraid to introduce new things for fear of of you know trying to show people up or anything like that is like no if, if we can bring something new to the table everyone everyone would be happy if we did that so we've always tried to to bring innovation or, or new ideas or teamwork uh, to, to to the things that we're trying to do do you know what's interesting though ollie is that matt is actually very very much of a first gen compared to other second gen so for example he grew up in a very you went to a catholic school you kind of really participated in that lifestyle or way more religious lifestyle than us you've read the dp what 60 times or more i lost count before the age of what i've struggled to read it a couple of times yeah but that's because you struggle to read <laughs> i'm joking i'm joking as the editor i will cut that out <laughs> um but so in that sense matt you have a pretty extraordinary kind of devotion to your religious kind of studies compared to the average second gen compared to me perhaps but i did not have to give up my education in the way that many first generation members in fact the church paid for your education did they not uh certainly my masters yes yeah. uh, they, they contributed to, to for me doing a, a master of arts in pastoral theology uh, the the idea behind that was to to help me in my pastoral work and i would say it was incredibly beneficial and then that place shut down right unfortunately unfortunately yes. yeah because so. they found out that mooney had graduated for real reason <laughs> <laughs> um, but that is a huge issue largely speaking the average first generation is significantly less educated than the average second generation right and and unlike most second generation members i i in a sense have have made the intentional sacrifice to to not pursue a, a career or to to generate a lot of income for my family in the way that I know that many of, of my peers have 
tried to develop good careers for themselves because you know many of us grew up in, in poverty and we don't want our children to grow up in poverty and so we want to have successful careers in important prestigious industries so that we can have money to, to build Chonil Guk or, or even just to, to survive. I think that's something that children often do and that's try and make up for what they didn't receive as a child uh, and kind of make up for what they see as deficiencies in their early childhood and want to do things better than their parents. And I think that's something that all parents want as well. And a classic example of that is happiness in marriage and relationships. I think it's it's a sad thing to say, but a lot of second generation members see in their parents a lot of struggles in their marriages. And, and there are important reasons for that because in the international matching and blessing where you intentionally take two people from vastly different cultures and ask them to, to marry each other, there are inevitable tensions there where those relationships weren't born out of romantic love, but were born out of a love for God. Uh, and, and so for a lot of those couples, it took a lot of effort to cultivate romantic love. Sometimes it never really took off. And so many second generation members experienced that. They observed it. It was modeled in front of them. And they don't want that. They want happiness in their relationships. They want happiness in their marriages. Let's not forget that a lot of first generation matchings and blessings were about restoration. So they were Are you arguing that second generation blessings aren't about restoration as well? Well, the point is that they were intentionally put into those positions where they had to restore things. Otherwise, they would crumble and fail or they would have to distance each other from things. I think a lot of second generation, when they get matched and blessed, they put more emphasis on happiness than we're supposed to because right. we're making up for that. Oh, my gosh, my parents shouted at each other all the time and they never got along. And I think that leads us sometimes to forget what marriage and blessing actually is. Of sure, we, we know it in our head, but is that how we actually act? I think one thing that you slightly talked about before, but not didn't really go into it, is kind of conservatism. So I know that a lot of first generation, they have this kind of longing for how things were before, but they, they do know that things need to change. But there is this conservative, for instance, Prime example, I genuinely believe that if we were three first-generation members, we would be labelled as problem members and we'd be put on how well do you know your moon or whatever. We wouldn't be allowed to say these things. I would love to be put on how well do you know your moon. Yeah, if you're listening. Free publicity. <laughs> but that's the point. Because we're second generation, people let us speak like this. And it's weird. Why can't first generation say these kinds of things? I know a lot of them are really scared and legitimately so because the people that I see saying the same things as me who are first generation, they're considered to be kind of outsiders or rebels or things like or that. Or maybe they see themselves as elders and they don't want to set a bad example to the younger generation. Even so, either way, it doesn't make sense. You know, honestly, first generation are not free to, to express concern because they're expected to still conform to the standard before of, of absolute faith, regardless of, of anything else. So as we said at the very beginning of this podcast, all of our observations would be sweeping generalizations. So, you know, everything we've just touched on is based on anecdotal experience and, and we've tried to generalize, but we recognize that everyone's different, everyone's unique. Mm. But in this conversation, the main question is, why does this matter? Why are we analyzing the differences between first and second generation well, members? Does uh, it matter? It does matter because 
ultimately second generation have to take over, right? Or somebody has to take over? Well, I would say it's not even just take over. It's have to work together. I mean, that's the point we were going to work towards. But in terms of roles and jobs and stuff, the first gen aren't going to be around forever. That's what I meant. But I mean, they are around. uh, And it's not like they're all going to disappear in the next 10 years. They'll be around for a long time. And and there will be first generation members joining all the time. So there will always be new ones. But but where are you living? (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) <laughs> but, but there are first generation members in in their in their late forties, in their fifties. Mm-hmm. That's early. not young. So they'll be around for another twenty odd years. Thirty We're retiring years. in ten years, which means they'll have a lot more time to volunteer okay. and be involved okay. in other other ways. Which means that we need to work together. But yeah, that that would be the best solution. So how can we work together then? How can o- we honestly, have- we have to recognize our differences. We have to stop thinking about this idea of direct inheritance. I think second gen really, really need to step up and learn how to conform because it is very important. Anybody who's worked in a professional setting knows that you have a lot to inherit and verticality is hugely important. And also first gen need to recognize that the way that things have been done previously is not necessarily the best way. Yeah. Meet, meet midway somehow. I mean, you know, we have these Friday night studies and actually that's quite a good example of first and second gen coming together. And I've noticed my relationship with the few first gen has greatly improved in a very horizontal friendship kind of way. I've noticed that a lot of the times they'll say stuff which I don't think of and a lot of the time I'll say stuff that they didn't ever think of or in a, in a way that they couldn't think of and then it's like, ah. Oh. But then you value each other's yeah, contribution. We do. Yeah, we do, exactly. Definitely. And, and you, you allow the other person's perspective to broaden your own. Mm. And I think part of the challenge in working together is that often second generation members see the deficiencies of the first generation members and get frustrated and and accuse their elders of of being incompetent or unprofessional and then first generation members they they see the the faithlessness or or the cynicism of the second generation members and they accuse them and get frustrated so instead of pointing the finger at the others try to to show compassion try to understand the other perspective you know jump into each other's shoes and walk around in them and and see what what I can do to change myself to to work better with that other group, mm. uh, to to see how I can complement them and and support them, and and really seek how can we work together. You also, just need to hang out more. That's like, true. As Toby was saying before, being able to just talk to somebody of another generation for some of us is really difficult. Now, I'm very lucky I don't have that problem. And Toby, you don't have that problem either. And neither do you, Matt. But we are absolutely in the minority. I know a lot of second generation who just can't have a proper heart-to-heart or a proper casual chat with somebody who's of a different generation. And that's really painful for our movement to have that block there. So, lads, there is a lot to think about from today's discussion, right? Mm. Um, I guess... We still haven't answered that last point Ollie just mentioned about how people struggle to discuss or how to communicate. But that's, I guess, a different point in itself, isn't it? That's your homework for this week. So thanks for listening, guys. If you like what you hear, please like and subscribe to our Facebook page or iTunes. And since we're trying to reach a wider audience, it'd be great if you could share our episodes. We have maybe six before this now. Feel free to leave a comment as well. We want to hear your thoughts on what we're talking about. Um, If you have any ideas for future topics, please 
message us, tell us your concerns, what interests you, because we want to we wanna expand, we want to see what else we can discuss. So follow us on Twitter, our Twitter handle is Orange Songbook, our Instagram is Orange Songbook, um, follow us everywhere, Orange Songbook. Our website is orangesongbook.com. So thank you once again, and see you next week. Toodle pip. Ugh, just say bye. 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 <laughs> You've been listening to the Orange Songbook Podcast with Matthew Hewish, Oliver Davies and Toby Suda, with support from Patrick German and music by Jude Grooves. Join the conversation on Facebook, Twitter and on the web at orangesongbook.com where you can find all our previous episodes. <laughs>